0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. And uh, I do want to get back to the book of Acts. We, uh, we are in Acts 9. I think we've, we're most of, most of the way through Acts 9. I, I was in two minds. I thought I should just finish Acts 9. And then um, I want to answer some questions that came up. Uh, Our sister Becca had raised some questions. And I think we're we're looking forward to questions from you. If you have a question, probably others have the question as well. And it's good for us to study into these so that we can answer uh, these questions for you. So as I go along, uh, I'll, I'll be addressing some of these questions. And specifically, I want to talk about the third resurrection. I want to talk about the third resurrection. I also want to talk about physical Israel and their role in the plan of God. So we'll, we'll talk about the Holy Days, because the, the Holy Day framework gives us the whole plan, and every word of God fits into this framework. So, so once we understand the framework, we can read anywhere in the Bible and say, oh, okay, that fits here. So we know the Spring Holy Days, it all begins with Passover, which represents the sacrifice of Christ Christ laying down his life for us and that begins the process unleavened bread pictures our repentance so once we understand what Christ has done for us uh, we repent and we pursue a godly life with Christ Uh, within the days of unleavened bread there's an a ceremony called the wave sheaf the wave sheaf ceremony pictures Jesus Christ ascending to the Father as our high priest and offering his blood to God the Father as a propitiation for our sins. That wave sheaf offering begins the count, a 50-day count, to Pentecost. And then the last day of Unleavened Bread pictures the end of seven days, really the end of our life, that this repentance is not just a one-time event, it's a lifestyle. So once we put our hand to the plow, we don't look back. Uh, We we live this way for all of our lives. And the connection between the wave sheaf offering and Pentecost shows that Christ is the first fruits. He's the first of the first fruits. And because Christ is the first fruits, we know there'll be a spring harvest. So the, the, the resurrection of Christ from the dead is our confidence that we will be resurrected from the grave. And the fact that we are the first fruits is evidence that there will be a fall harvest. So there's a spring harvest, there's a fall harvest. So we know there's going to be a fall harvest. That then brings us to the fall holy days. Actually, just before we go there, running alongside the plan of God is Satan and his plan. And just as Christ is... or or, uh, the embodiment of God is Christ came in the flesh. Satan comes in the flesh in the form of these beast powers. And so the Bible identifies seven beasts. There are many empires, and there have been many empires. But these seven, the Bible highlights, because these are the seven that devour, specifically devour God's covenant people. So these seven beasts, their function is to devour God's covenant people and to destroy this plan. Satan doesn't want this holy day plan enacted. So he's doing all he can to destroy the people of God so that God cannot fulfill his promises that are in this holy day plan. I also just want to highlight that the foundation of these beast powers is Babel and Nimrod. And where God represents the freedom of mankind Nimrod represents the slavery and the bondage of mankind. So these beasts are trying to bring mankind into bondage, and they're trying to destroy the people of God so that this plan cannot be enacted. Now we come to the fall holy days. The fall holy days begin with trumpets, the first day of the seventh month. Trumpets pictures the return of Christ and a time of war. So this is when Christ comes comes to earth to make war against the devil and his minions and to establish the government of God, the restoration of the government, which is pictured then by atonement. So after Christ returns and, and crushes his enemies, then the world can be at one with God. And part of that atonement is the binding of Satan. So Satan is bound on the day of atonement. After atonement then... We can now establish and usher in the kingdom of God, which is going to be a millennial reign for a thousand years. That is pictured by the Feast of Tabernacles. So the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years is pictured by tabernacles. And then at the end of the thousand years is the last great day, the eighth day. So there's seven days and then there's an eighth day. That eighth day represents a period of time for the Second resurrection. So the people who are resurrected at the end of the millennium, they need to live out a period of time, which we believe to be a 100 years, to be judged, to be evaluated, to be taught the way of God. And then at the end of the last great day, the plan of God has been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Every scripture, every prophecy, every doctrine, All history, everything from cover to cover, maps onto this plan of God. Let's now go through the scriptures together to see what the scriptures say about the fall holy days. Beginning in Revelation 19. Let's go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, we're going to begin with trumpets. And let's go to verse 11. And I saw heaven opened. So, and by the way, the way we, the way we read Revelation is it's a movie. So, so John is seeing all of this and he's just narrating to us what he saw. So we don't have to, um, get sophisticated here. We don't, we don't have to try to be overly, um, interpretive. Let's just accept it. The assumption is John knows what he's talking about. He saw it, and he's telling us what he saw. So what he says here is he saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. So he makes war in righteousness. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And the nations are the Gentiles, the Gentile nations. So he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. So basically they're that out of control. That in order to bring them under the government of God, they have to be ruled with a rod of iron. And and these false ideas that they have, they have to be subjugated to accept him. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. So no nonsense. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. So on trumpets, when Christ returns, God is angry. He is furious. And Christ is coming in wrath against the Gentiles. Okay. Let's now go to Acts 1. We've read this already when we opened our study on Acts, but let's just read it again just for context. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. When they, the disciples, therefore were come together, they asked of him, Jesus Christ, the the resurrected Christ. So he has been crucified, buried, resurrected, educating them for 40 days and 40 nights. And now they're asking him, saying, Lord, will you at this time, Restore again the kingdom to Israel. So he's just given them instructions that they should go through Jerusalem and Judea and, all, and Samaria and, and the whole world to teach the gospel. And they're like, great! Is this when you restore the kingdom to Israel? Not to Gentiles, to physical Israel. And he says to them, look, that's all over. I, I, I've been crucified, I'm the resurrected Christ. It's no longer about physical Israel. Now it's just the church. He doesn't say that. He knows exactly what they're talking about. All of the scriptures say the kingdom belongs to Israel. And that's why he's coming with a rod of iron. Because the Gentiles, they don't believe this. They don't want this. But there is no relationship with God except through Israel. And the kingdom of Israel that will be established on Uh, During these fall holy days. So they're looking for the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. Right now it's in the beast's hands. Let's now go to Zechariah for more of this day of trumpets. So the answer is no. This is not the time to them. But trumpets is when the kingdom begins to be restored to Israel. And tabernacles is when we see Israel. And the kingdom of God established for a thousand years. Zechariah 12 and verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel. God's burden is for Israel. God loves, God has covenant love for Israel. God is faithful. He loves Israel. He says, Esau, I have covenant hated, but Jacob I've loved. And because I don't change, the children of Jacob will never be consumed. Because I've made a covenant love for them. This is the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, says the Lord. Which stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth. This is the real God the God of Israel, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the Gentile people. They're going to regret what they've done to Jerusalem. And I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to them round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So we know Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by Gentile armies And God says, they're going to tremble. That confidence that they have or that they will have, it's going to be reversed. And they're going to be terrified. And in that day, this is the day of trumpets when Christ returns, will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. You don't mess with God's people. Even if God uses you to punish God's people, then he'll punish you for touching God's people. You don't mess with God's people. These are his people. And in that day ahead of us, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. So the whole earth thinks this is a great idea. Let's destroy the Jews in Jerusalem. Let's kill every last one of them. The whole earth is complicit in this. There's sort of this one world religion that agrees we've got to get rid of the Jew. In that day, verse 4, says the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah. And I will smite every horse of the people with blindness. He's coming to protect the Jew. He's coming. Why? Because he's made a promise. And Satan is doing all he can to subvert God's promise. And God won't allow it. There has to be a physical Judah. There has to be a physical Israel. So that God can fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. God is faithful. Drop down to verse 8. And in that day shall the Lord defend The inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the whole world thinks it's a great idea to come and destroy Jerusalem. And God says, that's when I come. And I will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. I'm going to give strength to the Jew so that they can fight back. Even the weakest among them will have the courage and the strength of King David. And the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. You're going to see Judah have supernatural, divine strength to withstand her enemies. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek, I personally, I will do this. I, God, the God of Israel, will seek to destroy all the nations. That come against Jerusalem. Whatever this anti Semitism spirit that's going on, we don't want it. We don't want to be on the wrong side. And having a hostile attitude to Judah, God says, I will curse those that curse you. That's what he says to Abraham. So if I'm looking at a descendant of Abraham, I'm not sorry, I'm not cursing them. I don't want to be on the wrong side. And Satan is at work. And he's stirring up anti Semitism. It's amazing. Muslims can walk free, do whatever they like. But Jews, even when they're being destroyed in Europe now, nobody has anything to say. It's just like it's okay to destroy the Jew. Verse 10 And I, God, will pour upon the house of David. And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications, the Jew who hates God, the Jew who rejects Jesus Christ, the Jew that doesn't want to hear anything about the gospel. God says, I'm going to give them my spirit. He promised that then the new covenant is between God and Israel. And he says, I will put my spirit in them and my law in their hearts. And they will love me. Here it is. And I will pour upon the house of David. I'm going to pour, this is not like I'm going to sprinkle. I'm going to pour upon the house of David. And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me, Jesus Christ, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him. The Jew will repent. By God's design. As one mourns for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him. As one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So the Jew is going to come to his senses. Right now, as the Bible says, they've been blinded. The Gentiles are being brought into Israel. But God is going to remove that blindness. And they are going to praise Jesus Christ. And this is necessary for this plan to be fulfilled. That's trumpets. Let's now go to the Day of Atonement. Let's go to Micah, chapter 4. Micah, chapter 4. And beginning in verse one, but in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it. Gentile people. And many nations, Gentile nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and of the house of the God of God of Jacob finally the Gentile gets it there is no God except the God of Jacob and I don't care who you are and and what you want to call your God there's only one God and it's the God of Jacob and the Gentiles now get it and they admit it so come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us teach us of his ways because whatever we were doing It was filthy. Sacrificing children, raping children, polygamy and incest and all these things. We need to learn the true way. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So there's this repentance and this coming to recognize and worship the God of Israel. Let's now go to Revelation. Revelation 12. Revelation 12 and verse 9, a familiar scripture. But just before we go to the Day of Atonement, let's establish the identity of this serpent. Revelation 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And what does he do? What is his function? What is his profession? What's his role? Which deceives the whole world. So all those Gentile nations that that said, it's a great idea for us to come and destroy Jerusalem. Who's behind it? The devil deceives the whole world. Let's now go to chapter 20. So we know, okay, this is what the devil does. He deceives the whole world. That's why the, the, the nations are angry. Because they're deceived. Revelation 20 In verse 1. This is the day of atonement. Or on the day of atonement. And I saw an angel. John saw this. He's telling us what he saw. Come down from heaven. Having the key of the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon. That old serpent. Which is the devil and Satan. And bound him. A thousand years. Finally. His activity ceases. He's bound. And what is his activity? What, what did Revelation 12:9 tell us? Deception. That's what he does. So the whole world is under this deception. Finally it ceases for a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should, what? Deceive the nations no more. Ever? Is, that it? Is, like the, is the deception over, over? Or just for a thousand years? That he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. Well, that's funny language. Why must he be loosed? I thought he was the problem. I thought that he had deceived all the nations and we finally put a stop to it. And now John is saying it's a temporary stop because he has to be loosed, but just for a little season. It's necessary. It's a part of the plan. It's a critical part of the plan. We'll come back to this. So that's now atonement. So we're here. So Christ has returned. The nations have beaten their plows into, uh, uh, their um, swords into plowshares and pruning hooks. And now uh, Satan is bound. And now we can begin the kingdom of God. Let's, before we continue in Revelation, let's go back to Zechariah, who had a lot to say about the end time. Zechariah 14, Zechariah 14, so Satan got everybody to agree, the whole world, and whatever their uh, ecumenical religion is, so it's going to become, but the whole world agrees, we have to destroy every last Jew, let's all go to Jerusalem and destroy them. God enables the Jew to fight back, and he himself comes to protect the Jew, and they mourn for him. They recognize that Jesus is, in fact, their Messiah. Satan is now bound. So that that idea, let's hate the Jew, they don't have that idea anymore. At least they shouldn't, because Satan is now bound. Zechariah 14, verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left... Of all the nations, of all the Gentile nations, which came against Jerusalem or the Jew, shall even, (laughs) this is amazing, these people who had such hatred for the Jew, they shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. So they hated the Jew, they wanted to kill every Jew, and now they're keeping the feast with the Jew. Acknowledging that God is the God of Jacob. The Lord of hosts. And to keep the feast of tabernacles. They have to learn God's plan for salvation. Every year. For a thousand years. Every year. They have to do this. And learn what the God of Israel has in mind. And the promise that he made to Abraham and how he will fulfill that promise in the Jew and in the physical people of Israel. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth, the whole earth. If you're not going to come up and worship with the Jew unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, even upon them. Shall be no rain. God isn't joking. For a thousand years. You better come to Jerusalem. And worship with the Jew. And know who the God of Israel is. Because if you don't. God will personally see to it. That you are punished. And if the family of Egypt. Muslim nation. Go not up. And come not. Because they just hate the Jew. They just can't get over it. And have no, that have no rain, there shall be the plague. So, so first no rain, and then the plague. God isn't joking. He's the God of Israel. Wherewith the Lord, he's angry when he comes, and he's angry if they don't keep the feast. Wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all Gentile nations that come not up to keep. The Feast of Time is that important. Understanding this plan of God is that important. That not a single human being is exempted. Everybody has to worship the God of Jacob. And worship the God of Jacob the way the God of Jacob says. With his holy time. I don't care what month you want to call sacred time. Sorry, you don't get to decide sacred time. The God of Israel says what is sacred time. Which was established right at the beginning. Let's now go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, and we'll continue in verse 4. And I saw thrones. So so John saw Satan bound, and then he was bound for a thousand years, but he had to be loosed for a little season. And then he says he saw thrones, and they sat upon them. People sat on the thrones, and judgment was given to these people. This is what John saw judgment was given to them and you know what you know the souls that i saw that were beheaded for the witness of jesus and for the word of god and and that that didn't worship the beast they just refused to bow to him nor his image and, and they didn't receive the mark on their foreheads or in their hands you know those people that i thought were destroyed they actually lived And not only did they live, they actually reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I saw it. Amazing. These are the first fruits. Christ came out of the ground and came back to life. And he's the first of the first fruits. And here are the first fruits. And they, so so while Satan was bound for a thousand years, I saw these people come back to life. Judgment being given to them, and they reigned for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead, in fact, even those that killed them, those that thought they were in power, the Gentiles, well, they didn't come back to life again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So we know there's two resurrections, at least. There's a first resurrection where these people sit on thrones and reign with Christ, and then there's the rest of the dead, and they don't come back to life until the thousand years is finished. So there's two resurrections at least. We're going to see actually there's three. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. 36. So we've seen Christ return for his people, for Judah, on trumpets. We've seen Satan bound and stop deceiving the nations so that the nations can understand that God is the God of Israel. And so for a thousand feasts, the whole world is coming to worship with Judah in Jerusalem, to worship the God of Israel for a thousand feasts. Physical Judah is rescued here and reigns with... I shouldn't say reign, but they're in in a priestly role on the earth for a thousand years. People come to to Judah to learn from the Jew about the God of Israel. But there's a lot of Jews that were killed. And they don't live during this period. What happens to them? Well, let's read Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 and verse 6. Prophesy, therefore, concerning the land of Israel. This is about the land of Israel. And say unto the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers and to the valleys, thus says the Lord. Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury because you have borne the shame of the heathen. So God is protective of his people. And the heathen have taken advantage of them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have lifted up my hand. Surely the heathen that are about you, they shall bear their shame. And you know, the thing is, you can't spiritualize this away. This is not talking about the church. This is talking about physical people in the land of Israel that the prophets are talking about. Zechariah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. If we try to spiritualize this away, the Bible becomes incomprehensible. If we just read it for what it says, we can understand it. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people of Israel. For they are at hand to come. For behold, I, the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am for you. God is speaking to Israel after the Assyrians have destroyed them and scattered them for their faithlessness. And while Judah is in Babylon for its faithfulness, God is saying, Israel, you're a prostitute, you are faithless, you are evil but I am for you because I am the God of your fathers and I made promises to them. And it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to fulfill my promise to Israel. There will be always be a people of Israel. You cannot stamp out the people of Israel. Stop trying. Can somebody tell these nations to stop trying? God has to fulfill his promises. Therefore no matter how hard Satan works the people of Israel will always be on the earth always there's no relationship with God except through Israel period for behold I am for you and I will turn unto you you faithless prostitute of Israel and you shall be filled or so you shall be tilled And sown, and I will multiply men upon you at the house, all the house of Israel, all of it, even all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be built. So, the Gentiles have tried to destroy Israel. God says of Esau, he will build, but I will tear down. But Jacob, I have loved, and I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginnings. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So that's Ezekiel 36. We're going to see that. The nations are going to come against Israel. God is going to protect them and establish them. And this is now going into the millennium. What of the Jews and Israelites that were slaughtered? What happens to them? Well, we go from this chapter to chapter 37. The Valley of Dry Bones. So we know then that all of Israel and Judah will be brought back to life. Son of man, can these bones live? And then he saw flesh come upon the bones. And they took on their human form again. But they didn't live until the breath of God went in them. And then they stood up, a giant army. Of Israel, So we know then that Israel will be resurrected at the end of the feast. So those Jews that live into the tabernacle period will tabernacle with God and the Gentiles will come and worship God with them. But those that were slaughtered will stand up on the last great day. That's what Ezekiel 37 is all about. Now we come to Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So this is in the area of Turkey, Muslim land, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, the God of Israel, am against you. I don't care what you want to call your religion. I don't care what you say your God is. The true God, I'm against you. O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, what we would call here the Antichrist. And I will turn you back and put hooks into your jaws. And I will bring you forth and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor. Even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Interesting. They're all handling swords to behead people. Verse 5, Persia, that's Iran, Muslim country. Ethiopia, Muslim country. Libya, Muslim country with them. So Turkey, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, all Muslim countries led by Gog. All of them with shield and helmet, all carrying swords to behead. Notice, this is after the second resurrection. 36, chapter 36 was going into tabernacles. 37 is the resurrection of those Jews that died and didn't get to experience the kingdom during the millennial reign. And then 38 is this Gog and the land of Magog and these other Muslim nations with them after the second resurrection. What's that all about? Let's go to chapter 39. Therefore, verse 1. You, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal in the area of Turkey. And I will turn you back and leave but the sixth part of you and will cause you to come up from the north parts and will bring you upon the mountains of Israel. And I will smite your bow. Notice he carries a bow, just like the, the white horseman, just like Ishmael is a bowman out of your left hand and will cause your arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your bands and the people that are with you. I will give you unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You do not mess with God's people of Israel. And you shall fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, says the Lord God. You know, it's interesting, these Muslim countries have to make the Bible illegal. Because I think if Muslims started to read this, they'd say, I think we're on the wrong side. And I will send a fire. Notice this verse 6. I want to just highlight this. And I, God, will send a fire on Magog. Or Magog. So God, God himself is going to send a fire on Magog. And among them that dwell carelessly in the isles. And they shall know that I, the God of Israel, am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. My people Israel. My people Israel will know my holy name. And I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. So Israel is no angel. But God made a covenant. And he's going to stop them from polluting his name. And the heathen, the Gentiles, whatever they want to call themselves, shall know that I, not Allah, not uh, Buddha, not Krishna, not Nimrod, I, the Lord God of Israel, I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. So right here, they're going to know God is in Israel. He's the Holy One of Israel. Again, I just want to draw your attention that chapters 38 and 39 come after chapter 37, which is the second resurrection. So with that, let's now go to chapter 20 of Revelation. Revelation 20, will continue in verse 6. Blessed and holy. Remember he said in um, verse 5 that the rest of the dead. so So he saw the first fruits reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And even though they suffered, they now had judgment. Judgment was given to us. And we reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then he said in verse 5, But the rest of the dead, they didn't live again until the thousand years were ended. Let's not read over that. That's scary. They didn't get to live again until the thousand years were over. Then he says, "Blessed." Is he that has part in the first resurrection. I'm telling you what I saw. These people that suffered. They wouldn't take the mark of the beast. Oh they suffered. But I'm telling you. They are blessed. Because why are they blessed? Because on such. The second death. Has no power. What he's saying, brethren, is the rest of the dead, the second death, has power over them. The first fruits, they're they're not at any risk of the second death. But the rest of the dead, they're not blessed and holy. And I think we have this view that, oh, he'll be in the second resurrection. As if the second resurrection is this wonderful place to be. What, What John says is, The first resurrection is a wonderful place to be. And let me just leave it at that. You work out for yourself whether or not you think it's a good idea to be in the second resurrection. The rest of the dead lived at the end of the thousand years. So he says here, on such the second death has no power. Instead, they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years were, are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Those are chilling words. And what I want to do now is just highlight for, for you this thousand year period. It's not the same. So, we have, so this orange represents deception, at age of deception. Satan is active. God returns. On atonement, he's bound. So the deception stops for a thousand years. But we know from God's plan that tabernacles and atonement are not the same. Atonement is on the 10th day of the seventh month, tabernacles is on the 15th day of the seventh month. So for a thousand atonements, Satan is bound, or 20 jubilees. After the thousandth atonement, he must be released. It's necessary. He must be released for a little season. We know that the kingdom of God and the reigning of the saints begins on tabernacles. So there's a five-day lag between the binding of Satan and the reigning of the saints. The saints reign for a thousand tabernacles, and Satan is bound for a thousand atonements. Therefore, on the thousandth atonement, Satan must be loosed. On the thousandth feast, the the rest of the dead live. So there's a five-day gap between Satan being released from prison and the rest of the dead rising. And Satan is all about deception. So he's got a five-day head start waiting for the second resurrection. When those in the second resurrection stand, Satan is busy. Let's continue reading. Verse 8. So verse 7 says, Satan shall be loosed. It's necessary, out of his prison. Verse 8 says, and he shall, we could even add immediately, go out to do, what does he do? To deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog. That's why, again, Ezekiel has chapters 38 and 39 after chapter 37. The chapter 37 is the rest of the dead. They come up in the second resurrection, and then Gog and Magog, they, they come back to life as well. And Satan has a, an affinity with them. He has a partnership with them, and he's busy. This is his la He knows the plan of God. So I know where I'm going. Pardon me if I'm Satan. I'm basically saying let me take out as much of mankind as I can. And that's why blessed and holy is he who's in the first resurrection. And I've got no comment for anybody who ends up in the second resurrection. What does he do? To gather them together to battle. Wow. I thought everybody got it. Well, you know what? Think think of it like this. Germany has about 10 million people in their population. They've just let in a million migrants. And their culture is being overwhelmed. they're, they're, They're losing their culture. What if it was the other way around? What if Germany was a million people and they let in 10 million migrants? What kind of cultural overwhelm would they have then? So here... We've got people living for a thousand years. A lot of people have died in this period, but there's survivors who live here for a thousand years into this period. And then suddenly, let's say there's, I don't know, a billion people. And then suddenly a hundred billion people stand up to join them. We're talking about cultural overwhelm. So for a thousand years you've been worshiping with the Jew, you know the God of Israel. And now suddenly, a hundred billion people come online with hatred for the Jew. Whatever state they were in when they died, I'm going to blow myself up. I come back to life with that hatred. I've got a hundred billion people who've been deceived for all their lives coming back online. It's cultural overwhelm. The number of whom, verse 8 is as the sand of the sea. He's pretty effective. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints about. Satan has one agenda. I've got to destroy the physical people of God. We're not not physical people. We're, we're, We're the saints. We're ruling over physical people. But Satan has to destroy physical Israel so that God breaks his promise. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city. And notice, remember we read the fire coming down on Gog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Here it is again. Gog and Magog. And fire came down from God himself out of heaven. So they surround Jerusalem. They want to destroy Jerusalem. And this is it. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So it says the number is as the sand of the sea. So these people that come up in the second resurrection, there's a spirit of hatred toward the Jew and toward Israel. And it's all over the world. And this is Satan's last-ditch effort. And it says their number is as the I I used to always hear, you know, oh, the vast majority of people of mankind will be in the kingdom. Most people will accept God. I'm kind of reading my scripture. And I'm, I'm making John the authority. John John knows what he's talking about. He saw it. I didn't see it. He saw it. And he says the vast majority of mankind went with Gog and Magog and tried to destroy Israel. And fire came down from heaven and and devoured them. So this is all happening on the last great day, which we believe to be a, a hundred year period from Isaiah 65. So they have time to grow up and make decisions. Verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet should be were, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw. Now, so look at this. Let's read this for what it says. So a thousand years, Satan is loosed. A thousand feasts, the rest of the dead come back online, period of deception, number is the, uh, the, the sand of the sea. They all come against Jerusalem, fire comes down from heaven and destroys them. And now, after that, he sees a white throne. So again, the way I've been taught is the white throne is at the beginning of the feast. The way John says it is, it's at the end of the last great day. Oh, sorry, the white throne is at the beginning of the last great day. John says it's at the end. It's after the devil has done his work, after the devil is thrown in the lake of fire, then there's the throne judgment. So verse 10, the devil that deceived them is cast into the lake of fire. Verse 11, and then I see a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Fire came down from heaven, killed them all. So the rest of the dead didn't live until the thousand years was up. They came back online. They sided with Gog and Magog, went against Jerusalem. Fire came down from heaven and destroyed them. And then they came back to life again. There has to be a third resurrection. They're coming back to life to be judged. To be sentenced, I should say. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and now the books are opened and this is the the Bible the books of the Bible are opened and another book was opened and this book is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books so all these prophecies all this knowledge that we have in the Bible they should have conformed their lives to the Bible, the word of God they're judged according to their works and the sea Gave up the dead which were in it. And the grave, death and hell, delivered up the dead which were in them. So at this point now, everyone who's dead, nothing is going to keep, they can't hide. You can't hide in the grave. You can't hide in the sea. Every single soul that is dead comes back to life. This is after the second resurrection. Every single soul comes back to life. And, and the, the, the sea and the grave, and they're all cooperating and saying, here you go. don't You can't hide here. Here you go. They all delivered up the dead which were in them. And the dead were judged every single man according to their works. Now, when they're judged, verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So second death is not a number. It's not like death number two. It's a category. We know that Lazarus lived and he died. And then he was brought back to life and then he died again. So he already had two deaths. This is not, a, this is not quantity. This is category. There's, there's a, a type of death which we all see and suffer. That type of death gets thrown into the lake of fire. So that, that type of death is not available anymore. Which the Bible calls sleep. Now there's another category of death. Which is called the second death. And John says, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Are you ever blessed if you're in the first resurrection? Strive for the first resurrection. Because this other category of death has no power over you. But anybody who comes up in the second resurrection, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to report. This second death has power over them. Because Satan isn't kidding. He's been bound for a thousand years, plotting and scheming, and he knows this is it. I'm going to be released on the last great day, and this is it. My, my last-ditch effort to take out as much of mankind as I can. And from what I can read, he's very successful. These people come back online with all the hatred they had when they went into the grave, with all the deception they had when they went into the grave. With people like Hitler and Mohammed and Genghis Khan and all these guys come back online at the same time. And Satan has them all like puppets. Verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And that's it. And now we have humanity that worships the God of Israel, that loves the God of Israel, that loves Israel, that comes to God through Israel, and all of humanity that just can't do that, that just won't accept that God is the God of Israel. And that category of folks are thrown into the lake of fire. There's no relationship with God except through Israel. And let's, uh, let's conclude in... I've got so much more, but uh, I will cover it another time. But let's conclude in chapter 22. And so just in terms of positioning this, the last great day is when all of humanity that has not accepted Christ. And didn't know Christ. Gets to decide. If they will accept him. And they will go through what we're going through now. I don't think, I don't think anybody dies during the, the millennium. I think it would be unfair. For people to live without Satan's influence. And just have everything rosy. And just waltz into the kingdom. So the way Adam lived 900 years whatever was in the earth's atmosphere at that time, people will live again 900 years or or 1,000 years. And then there's this 100-year period where they have to do what we're doing now, resist the deception of the devil. And even after 1,000 years of education, the devil is still effective. And we even see that during the feast. People will resist keeping the feast, and God is going to hit them with the plague. So... Here now, we have the great white throne judgment, and then the new Jerusalem. So the judgment comes after they've had this 100-year period where we can educate them, support them, try to tell them Satan is deceiving you, this is what the word of God says, the same way we're getting it now. They get it then. And then there's the judgment. And Christ says he's Alpha and Omega. He starts this whole process with Passover, and he ends it with the great white throne judgment. And then he turns everything over to the Father. So the Father has everybody bow to Christ, the God of Israel, and then Christ turns everything over to the Father. And verse 10 of chapter 22, And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So now is the time for us to understand the book of Revelation. For the time is at hand. He that is unjust... Let him be unjust still. It's almost like God is saying here, if you can't figure this out by now, oh well. You know, if you if you're going to say, my God wants me to rape women, God wants this is a righteous thing to do. Oh well, if you can't figure out that that's of the devil, go ahead. He that is unjust. Let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy. Let him be filthy still. So there seems to be this doctrine that's enabling people. To think that this is of God. And he that is righteous. Let him be righteous still. And he that is holy. Let him be holy still. We have a choice to make. And behold I come quickly. And my reward is with me. To give every man. According as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. So all the holy days point to Christ. He starts it. He ends it. The first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters... You know, when I call Gentiles dogs, I mean, I have authority to do that. I'm just quoting what God says. If you're not Israel, you're a dog. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and makes a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the Jew. And the bright and morning star. So there was a, one last question I wanted to answer. I hope I've answered all the others. Um, is are there still sorcerers and murderers outside of the city? And and the question is the answer is no. That basically in the White Throne Judgment, we're going to search the Book of Life, and if we don't see their name in there, stand aside. See your name in there? Come on in. So at the end of the process, everyone who is righteous is in the New Jerusalem. And those that are condemned to the second death, they watch this. And they see what they have forsaken. And then they're thrown into the lake of fire. And then the whole earth is is going to be purged. This has been a podcast from the Burlington congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.